Hi, I'm Whitney Walker, and this is the Women Waken podcast, where I interview guests who are in the field of healing and spiritual work using their unique gifts of the divine feminine. We talk all about these amazing gifts that these particular guests have and how they're bringing them forth in the world. On this episode, I welcome my motivational friend, Cynthia Gregory. Cynthia is a coach on many different levels. She's an executive life coach and strategist and a leadership coach, writing coach, and publishing coach. Cynthia is definitely the woman that you want to seek out if you're thinking about writing a book. And we talk all about that on this episode. We talk about the process of finding your voice, of beginning a writing practice, and how to really find your own style and your own way of expressing yourself through your words, as well as the benefits of that process. It's a really exciting and very informative and helpful discussion. So take a listen, enjoy, and here's my guest. Hi, Cynthia. Welcome to the Women Waken podcast. Thanks so much. It's nice to be here. Very exciting to have you here. Very exciting to have a writing and publishing coach. I think that's so exciting because I think that a lot of the women that I have on the show or that might listen to the show are doing such work that they they want to share it with others, right? They're, they're looking to sort of start their own business. And when you're in that place, writing is a great tool <laughs> to share. Oh my gosh. So many people have such a great story and they don't even know it. And other people know it and they carry it around in their heads for a long time before they do anything about it. Well, because I, I will speak from experience, I find writing to be very challenging. I find it to be very laborious and just an inordinate amount of effort for what comes out. And I know I must have the wrong mindset because it doesn't, I, there are times where I get into the flow, right? You get into the flow of writing, but other times, man, it just feels like having to write a, you know, a 1200 word blog post feels (laughs) like a punishment. And you know what, that could very well be because it's not your style. So you might try using an app like dragon and just simply dictating into your phone so that when you get that document sent to your email and your inbox, then you're just editing, you're not typing. And it could be that process of typing is not working for you. Okay, that's something to consider. It's always good to have different tips and ideas. I think especially around writing because there's a million different ways to do it. I mean, it's funny because it's so simple. You're just writing. So there's really only one component, but there's so many things to it that can allow for a greater ease of the experience like so many things most of it's mental really it's like yes (laughs) how you set yourself up for success I mean almost when we talk about it this way I think the first thing that comes to mind is meditation it's kind of similar people are like I don't know how to meditate I know how to do I just had a guest a few weeks ago who uh, we talked through how to have a meditation practice and it's kind of like this it's like well it's really just one thing it's meditating it's just being focused and and still and that's it and, That's exactly it. And writing, it's not complicated, yet people need these sort of ways to find their ability to do it because it is it, mentally, it can feel this like this block. Oh, and it largely has to do with, you know, we were terrorized in school about having to be perfect when we write. The fact is a first draft is going to be messy. And I... I don't really, you know, get too hung up on what comes out for the first time. It's just a place marker because it's never perfect when it first comes out. Yeah. And and I think that 
that's what uh, makes people uncomfortable is to just do it and let it be imperfect. I yeah. think it's that thought that if I write something and I want it to be worthwhile and I want it to really be concise and have a good flow to it. Yet, if you do that, then you might not create anything, produce anything. That's just it. It's that perfectionist in you going, now, if I can't do it perfectly, then I want to do it at all because I don't want to look foolish. But honestly, um, I, I always find something in the people I work with you know, even in their messiest drafts, there's always a kernel of genius in there that if you find that and you can identify that for them, it gives them a little bit more confidence to keep at it. Yeah. And so that's the work that you do with your clients is Mm -hmm. help them find when they think it's just a bunch of, (laughs) you know, garbage or, you know, a landfill of words, you're able to say, Hey, wait a minute, there's something here. There's, there is something that kernel, that gem. Well, absolutely. And I mean, I've worked with published authors who have written books or who have written dissertations and they get all gummed up and all stuck up in their head. I'm like, no, 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 no. Let's make a spreadsheet. Let's, you know, make this uh, a visible, uh, a visual representation of your story. And once they can see it outside of their head, they're like, oh, I see how these pieces fit together or, oh, I now I understand what's missing here because I jumped, you know, 10 stages ahead before, um, you know, saying where we were going and I lost my reader. It always boils down to something really, really simple. So you said that you do a visualization. Mm-hmm. Well, a visual representation. So that could be post-it notes on the wall. That could be an Excel spreadsheet. That could be a graphic you create in Canva, just to kind of get the ideas out of your out of your head into a place where you can move them around and see how they fit together or where they don't fit together. Yeah, I think that's so important because I know that I. So I'm trying to start writing a book. Yay. About, the, about addiction, recovery, and just in general experiences of, of self-destruction that individuals Beautiful. Have. Well, the and, world needs that book. <laughs> so I'm working on it. Yet I, I do, I, I've been thinking a lot about that as I wish I had a way to visualize what, because sometimes when you're writing it in a document, it just feels like you're dumping into like the abyss. It's like, I don't know where all this is going. I don't know how it's all fitting together. Even when you break down chapters, it feels like I don't, I need a board. I need something. And you I can guess, do it on Trello. I have a client who's organizing her chapters on Trello. What's that? Can you tell us about Trello that? is just, a, it's an app. It's an, or it's a, it's an app for teams to work together. who are all working on a project and it's got, they call cards and each card is a topic and each card has detailed pieces to it. And you can visually see how things are stacking up. For instance, this client of mine, we were talking about the the pages that she's already produced in the last six months. She's got about 50 pages, which is a great start, but she's not clear about where things go and where they belong. So she created this Trello board and we were talking and she kept dumping stuff into this one chapter. And I'm like, it's too big. It's too complicated. You need more chapters, not longer chapters. That makes sense. I mean, when I wrote my first book, I had just won a national award for my writing for a short story that I wrote. And they asked me to write <clears throat> an essay about my process. And so I did. And then I realized, oh my God, that's the first chapter of my book. And then I had a bad breakup and, uh, you know, and I decided 
that instead of like getting all depressed and eating a bunch of ice cream or something self-destructive, I sat down and in 48 days wrote 48 chapters. So every day I sat down and I wrote a thousand words. And in less than two months, I had a book. Wow. That's how simple it can be. You know, if you have something to say and you write a thousand words at a time, it's only four pages. Boom, boom, boom. Just do it. It sounds simple. I mean, I know I make, I oversimplify it, but four pages isn't a whole lot. Yeah. So then you've been, you've been writing your whole life. Have you always been a writer? I started writing as a teenager, you know, an angsty teenager and I wrote bad poetry, uh, but it was a way to express what I was feeling. And I was, you know, the confusion of a teenager and, and everything that goes with that. And I felt an immense relief in getting it out of my head and onto paper where I could look at it. And it made some sort of sense. And then I just, I was passionate and I started writing and getting, submitting stories and getting rejected. And, you know, I kept working at it. And then I got a degree in journalism, which helped me become a better writer. And I started writing articles and travel pieces and food literature. And then I just started writing fiction and I sought out teachers to work with who could help me become a better writer. And eventually I started getting less, fewer rejections and more acceptance. And um, so it just, like anything that you're passionate about, you know, find the teachers who can help you along and bring you along faster. It's, you know, what that's what a master class can do is bring you along faster than you would on your own. Yeah, absolutely. Do you offer a master class for writers? I do. I'm offering a year-long master class for, you know, one-to-one coaching for writing. And it, um, I'm, I've, I've got a couple of folks who are doing that. And I've also got a couple of folks who are doing like a six months kind of down and dirty, not messing around. They just want to get it done. And we, you know, we meet regularly. We review where they're going. We talk about, you know, the structure and creating a system. This is what I learned about writing. And I was shocked to find out that, I mean, I find my, I consider myself a very creative person, very right brain, but I was shocked when I found out that there is actually a structure to a short story. There's a structure to everything, like every book, right? And there's so much freedom within the structure. If you take the time to create the structure, the outline, you know, to write the summary, then you know where you're going and it takes a lot of the mystery out of it. Then all you have to do is show up and write what you said you were going to write about. <laughs> yeah. And that sounds, that it would be easy enough. <laughs> It takes practice, though, too. I mean, you know, a child learning to walk doesn't, you know, one day just stand up and run across the room. You know, you got to learn. You got you to gotta build those muscles. Is writing easy for you now that you're at a point where it's your career to help others? You're, you're a coach for others to create a writing process. Is it, would you call it easy for you to sit down and write? Mostly. And I, but I also have a system like, Um, my second book is coming out in October. Really super excited about that. Oh, what's that? I know. Well, I don't have the cover, uh, uh, with me because it's not out yet, but it's a collection of short stories that I've written over the past 20 years. And some of them were award winners and others are just my process of writing. And, um, in February of 2020, I was running a journal camp workshop for six weeks. And I had every week, every Saturday, 
for six weeks, we would all gather on Zoom and I would provide writing prompts and we would do these timed writings. It's a system that I have of writing without stopping for five minutes and then 10 minutes and then 15 minutes and then 10 and five cool down. So it's, it gets gradually harder and then it gets gradually easier. And we just write and we read what we wrote and we don't talk about it. We just read and we write. That's all. And at that time, COVID was landing. And so I just started writing about what we were all talking about. What is this mysterious pandemic? What is, is this a plague? There was so much uncertainty. Do you remember the rumors that were like spinning around like, oh my God, are they going to close the bridges? Are they going to close the Golden Gate Bridge to stop the, the transmission of this mysterious disease? And, you know, you could no longer bring your bags to the grocery store. And then, you know, it, it got more and more and more intense. And because I was journaling at that time, I was able to capture all those details. And about halfway through the journal camp, I realized I was writing a short story and it was going to become the, the capstone to the collection. So it was that discipline of the journaling in a very precise way that helped the story emerge. Probably it happened a lot faster than if I would have just sat down and gone, I think I'm going to write this story about what's going on Yeah, because there was a structure and a system to it. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about journaling. You mentioned that that was your first form of writing as a teen. Yeah. yeah. Mine as well. I was a big journal. I still have all my journals from oh, when I, think I, I started. My first journal was in like third grade, I think was the earliest I found. Yeah. Mostly just talking about like exciting field trips and roller coasters that I went on. <laughs> oh my God, that's so beautiful. It's very cute. And then I continued and I really picked up pace in, in high school. And I, I recently, last year, I decided to do a life review. I think I was, because I was kind of gearing up to write a book and I really just wanted to review. So I went back and read all of my journals, which there was like 20 plus journals I had over the years. And they're such amazing and incredible, valuable gifts, right? When you document things in your life, because we forget stuff, you know, you're not going to remember everything from 30, 40, 50 plus years of life. And so you, oh my gosh, I forgot. Or you think I forgot how much that hurts. You know, we write about events Mm -hmm. and things that happen and we don't remember. And anyway, so I just, I spent so much time when I was younger. I, it was, I was very diligent. I documented everything that happened. And now I look back and I'm so grateful because, you know, my memory will continue to <laughs> fade as I get older. And, and it's like, I can peek back and almost like visit with my younger self when I look at the journals. Yes, exactly. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So it you know, really made me realize the power of documentation and writing. And also to your point, as you spoke about, about journaling is that it enables you to really, it, there's value in it. There's processing that happens when you, it's very therapeutic. We, you know, as, as a therapist, I encourage everyone to journal because that's how you really gain an understanding of something is when you, something happens when you write about it, when you write it out and you share. I want to take it a step further read it out loud and hear those words coming back at you. And it's a, it takes it up to a whole new level. It's amazing. Oh, I've never tried that. I've never tried that. How, in what way is that? Did you used to do that when you were younger? Is that something you you do now in practice? 
Um, it's something that I do now in my journaling practice. Yes, absolutely. And I do that with my clients as well, because it's like, it's like the mirror, it's the mirrored neurons. When you mirror back to somebody what they've said, they hear it in a whole new way. It's like, we don't listen to that inner voice the same way that we hear words spoken out loud, right? Something becomes real about it when you speak it up. Yeah. Yeah, it becomes a shared wisdom somehow. I feel like really journaling at its best is a conversation with yourself or a conversation with your soul. I love that. I oh. went there. <laughs> <laughs> I love that so much. And that's I think that's why there's so much power in it because and why it can feel so good to journal is because when you're sort of going through your day and there's something that's really bothering you and over, you know, I'm a big ruminator, unfortunately, even as a therapist, I haven't figured out completely how to let certain things go and certain things I get stuck on. And that's when I turn to journaling. I, and I do now, you know, I type on my computer. Sometimes I do by hand still, but mostly I'll go to the computer and just start writing and just, what is, what is it that I'm feeling? What is it that I'm thinking? What is it that I'm stuck on? Why am I stuck on it? What am I afraid of? Just go through all these things. And as, as I start to get it out, it is like you're talking to that part of you that's kind of sitting there throughout your day when you're going about and trying to do all these things. And it's still kind of saying, hey, I, I need to be heard. I, I would like to share this with you. It's your soul. Mm -hmm. And until you sit down and spend that time with yourself and your soul, it stays kind of stuck and unresolved and manifests as an anxiety around different exactly. things. Exactly. Exactly. I'm sure that there are studies or will be studies that kind of uh, conclude that what I'm saying is, you know, is a, an absolute possibility that you are able to process, you're able to hear that tiny little, that faint whisper of your wisdom speaking to you, but we're so busy all the time and we're projecting our thoughts all over the place. And like meditation, when we're journaling, we're just so focused I think we're able to hear that voice speaking if we listen carefully enough. For instance, have you ever journaled and then put it away and come back a week or a month later and, and read what you wrote and go, hot dang, did I do that? Where did that come from? <laughs> yes. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's, that's where you can go with it, which you know, not to be too metaphysical or woo-woo, but I think it's a, it's kind of a superpower if you're willing to tap into it. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Cause you're getting really into, you know, the energy behind it and the essence around your life and your experience. That's the value of writing is you're, you're putting into words what you sometimes just leave in the ether. If that makes sense. Yes. Or what polite people would never say out loud. You can put that in your journal. It feels good. It feels cathartic. And then you can look at it and go, well, and it's true. Yeah. And, and it, it also serves as sort of an investigation as to why we're feeling a certain way and, and why these feelings are causing certain reactions or behaviors. You know, you mentioned that um, you wrote your first book after a breakup and there's nothing like a a breakup or a big emotional upheaval to really mm -hmm. kind of elicit this need. It's almost, it becomes a need to connect with your soul because we're feeling so disconnected because, you know, especially with something like a breakup, there's so much questioning, at least I know for, in my experience, where yes, exactly. it feels a sense of rejection of what, what happened and why. And, and I feel torn apart inside. I feel, yes. you know, that I I'm questioning myself and I'm going through anguish and right. I need to connect with what's true, which 
you know, the, yes. the ultimate truth about ourselves is that we're always safe and perfect and we're fine at yes. our essence. And it's about reconnecting with that part of us that always knows breakup, marriage, you know, success, downfall. We're always okay. We can always connect back, but it's when we sort of move too far away from that place of wholeness of being, of knowing our inherent worth and value that we get sort of just in this undertow of distress. You articulated it beautifully. That's exactly right. And one of my favorite tools when people are saying, I want to write a book. I said, how many chapters? And they're like, I don't know. I said, okay, you've got 10 minutes. I want you to write a list of everything you know for sure. Just go. Keep the pen moving. Keep your fingers moving. What are 25 things you know for sure? And you get out of your own way. You're like, oh, 25 things. I got to come up with a list. I don't have very much time. And you stop second guessing yourself. And that's when you kind of, some of these things can sneak in and surprise you because you're not trying to steer the bus. You're just trying to be there to take the dictation for whatever idea pops into your head. It's a great distraction. It's a great tool. Yeah. So when would you ask someone to do that in the process? Is that at the very beginning when they're just starting out writing and 25 things you know. Yeah, and I would I would say that, um, yes, and depending on the person, I could say, all right, you know, we have an hour to talk. You've got 10 minutes. I want you to start writing right now. 25 things that I know for sure. Boom. About this topic, like 25 things that you could write for sure about addiction and recovery. Boom. You could probably do that fairly quickly. But if you sat down and you thought, well, I think the book needs to start like this. And I really want to mention that. And, oh, I don't want to forget that. Then you're kind of all over the place. But if you're focused on what do I know for sure about this thing? That's how this book happened. What do I know for sure about journaling? I know 48 different ways to journal. You know, I know 48 ways to recover my dignity and self-love. Is that in there? Is that a part of the book? No, I was thinking of your book. <laughs> Ooh, well, I like it. I'll use that. Well, how did you said it was inspired by the breakup? How so? Did 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 it just create this desire to? Well, you know what? It was okay. So it was to prove something to myself. I just won a national award. I was really loving the story that garnered the award. It was from a publication that. I had been trying to, you know, get into for several years. And when I finally got that news, I was just like, yes. And then the breakup happened. And I just wanted to prove that, you know, I had this thing that I was really good at. And that even if he rejected me, I still had this thing that was mine and I could create something from it. And I think the timing was right. You know, the we can't really plan for these things, but the timing was right. I was motivated because I'd just been recognized by a literary journal that I was, I really respected. And I was like, well, I'll show you, I'm going to write a book. (laughs) And so I did. And that sounds therapeutic in itself. Did that help you to move through and heal from the breakup? Did it help you to? No, because it wasn't about the breakup per se. I think that it was a really productive use of my time because I was focusing on this this creative project. And so the time I was spent I had spent cr- working on this creative project, I wasn't thinking about oh isn't it sad what happened, the possibilities that were no longer are. And so I just kind of pivoted and took a new direction and and it seemed to work. That's awesome. 
That's awesome. And you, you also talk a bit about journaling as a form of meditation. Can yeah. you tell us about that, your views on that? Well, I think it is like meditation because, well, there are different kinds of journaling. You can do intentional journal journaling, free writing. You can do the brain dump. You can do aspirational journaling or goal-setting journaling. You know, so there are different ways to apply the, the practice, but it's, it is about focusing your mind to the exclusion of everything else. And, you know, people used to be able to do that. A hundred years ago, writers were, would sit down, you know, Virginia Woolf would just sit down and write for hours and then take a lovely walk in the park. She didn't have social media. She didn't have, you know, all kinds of media. She didn't have her laptop. She didn't have all of these distractions, which really keep us from the present moment. I think that's what, how journaling and meditation are very much the same is you have to be present. You can't be thinking of 10,000 things. When my, and it's a, this is a chapter in my book. When my ex-husband's grandmother died, his father shared with everybody, and we didn't know this, that but grandma kept a diary every day of her married life, as women did often in those days. And mostly it was just lists of things that she had to do or recipes or tasks. And so, but he, it, she kept a journal every single year. And so he gave to each of his seven children, he gave the journal from the year they were born. And so it was like a snapshot into the family history that as they were gestating in mommy's belly, you know, these, this, this world was going on and there was this whole galaxy of people. And it was a really lovely tribute to this woman who didn't live an extraordinary life. You know, she was, she was a wife and mother. That's what women, you know, were basically doing mostly at that time. It was really beautiful to, and to your point about, you know, journaling as a child, you know, it's, it's a snapshot in time that is really quite lovely. And we don't have that a lot in our lives. Wow. Well, there's so much we're exploring about the the value of writing and journaling and, and sharing our, our word and our stories. How did you first, uh, you know, I know that you started writing young, but when did you first realize that you wanted to base your life's work around this? Did it start, you know, did your early career involve being a coach or a writer? Um, no, it did not, which is so ironic. So I always considered it like this passion of mine, but I don't know that I had the courage to fully go, you know, to fully go uh, public with it. And so I worked in nonprofit leadership for many years. And then about eight years ago, I discovered coaching. I hired my first coach eight years ago and I was like, yeah, that's what I want to do. I think that everything up till now has brought me to that. Okay. So you, you had a coach first and then you were, you're really inspired by that experience. Yes. And I went, how does she do that? How does, how do I walk away every time I talk to her feeling so good? Mm-hmm. You know, cause all we were doing was talking and I thought there's something really magical that goes on there. And of course, what I learned when I studied coaching is that we so very rarely have somebody listen to us, really, really listen to us. And it was transformative. And at that time, I was thinking, it's so funny. I was like, well, I'm an author and I'm a coach, but how do I put them together? And it wasn't, it really didn't come together until like two years ago. And I went, I'm a writing coach. 
And the more I talked about it, the more people responded and said, yeah, I want to write a book. Eight in 10 people want to write a book, but only three do it. And so I thought, well, I think there's some growth potential here. <laughs> and I, I get such great joy out of writing that I want other people to experience that too. I don't want it to be painful for them. I don't want it to be arduous and difficult and a wrestling match with themselves. And so I can help them by saying, no, this part's really good. Do more of that. Now, this other thing you're doing, don't do that so much because it's confusing your reader. So I'm just kind of giving them a head start in getting their book done. And I've done it enough times that I, I see the pitfalls and I know, you know, where the, the, the growth opportunities are. What do you think the biggest pitfalls are for people who set out to write a book? They say, okay, here's my general topic. This is what I want to convey. This is what I'm wanting to share with others. I'm going to go for it. And then it gets a few pages in and then... And they're like choking. Yeah. They overthink it. It's really very simple. I mean, not everybody is John Grisham. Not everybody is, you know, Nora Roberts. Not everybody can write like that. Alice Hoffman, you know, um, Joanne Mapson, Sherman Alexie, some of my favorites. You know, not everybody can do that. I can't do that. I can only write in my way, which is okay, pretty good. Because you can't be the Einstein of book writing doesn't mean that you shouldn't try it. <laughs> you know? I love that. That's a great point, which is true for everything, right? It's true for everything. You know, people, um, people say the same thing about a podcast. And I had the same thoughts about doing a podcast because I thought everyone's already trying to do it and everyone's already saying everything there is to say. So where, and, but then you recognize just like with the book, well, but I haven't done a podcast and I haven't shared my voice, so that's not out there. But also to your point, it's it feels like everyone's doing a podcast, but I would imagine that eight out of 10 people also would like to have their own podcast, but only a few actually do it. And does it bring you joy? Yeah. Reason enough. Totally. So same right? with the book. It's yes, maybe it feels like there's a billion gazillion books out there and it's just going to fall you know, into the crevices. Yet, what does it matter if it's going to be a process for you that's important? Exactly. It's really more about your growth. It's it's like, you know, well, they don't accept me, but do you accept yourself? Why don't you start in, on the inside, you know, start internally and then, you know, work your way out. If it brings you joy, then do it. Definitely. How do you help people to find their voice? I think that's a big thing. When people set out to write and they think, what do I have to say? What What is my approach? What What is my voice, my tone? Yeah, they think it's a, like... Ethel Merman or something, but um, it's um, it's a matter of practicing and being comfortable with yourself. I have I'm working with a, a writer who, when she really lets go, you know, of the fear of not doing it right, her voice shines through, and it's just brilliant. And when I see those points, I'll say this is really good. She's like, yeah, I wasn't sure I should do that. There's a clue. I don't know if this is safe to say this. And it's like, who cares? Say it anyway. And we'll, we'll, you know, catch it on the review, but at least put it out there. So I think that it's a matter of practicing doing it, you know, anything that you do, you're going to do with your own style if you do it enough. And if you're comfortable enough with the process, I think honestly, take chances, take chances about saying, saying the obvious, saying the thing that nobody else will talk about, 
using local vernacular, being, you know, brutally honest with yourself and just putting it out there. Cause I think that we fear, we actually fear more being heard than we hurt than we don't. Mm. Right. So it's not so much that, Oh, I'm a, fr- I, I, I don't know how to find my voice. I think it's more, what if they hear my voice and they don't like it? Everybody's voice is going to be singular to their experience from where they grew up, their family dynamics, their education, everything about who they are is filtered through them individually. So yeah, forget about the rules. I mean, you got to keep some of the rules like punctuation in mind. Otherwise it's just a jumbled mess, but (laughs) within the confines of that, you pretty much have freedom to be yourself. And again, I think most, that is a barrier for some folks. They're like, well, what if I'm myself and they don't like it? Rather than, what if I'm myself and I'm so freaking awesome, they can't stand it, and I'm, I'm a runaway bestseller. Nobody thinks like that, <laughs> you know? So I think writing practice is how you find your voice. And reading it out loud is how you find your voice because then you start to hear how it resonates or doesn't resonate. And that has to do with, voice is a lot like style. You know, a lot of people will write a mystery or a romance, but everybody has their own particular style. Like a Daniel Steele is not like a Nora Roberts, if, you, if you're familiar with the, uh, the romance genre. You know, each writer in the romance genre is pretty particular about what they write about or what they don't write about. And that all contributes to voice. Do you think that your voice is something that you find or that you create? Do you think that it's what you sort of just naturally kind of flows from you that kind of comes when you write? Or do you think you have to kind of shift yourself into, because it's, I mean, I feel like if you try to create a voice too much, then you're going to, it won't be as authentic, but how do you recognize, you know, what you are trying to convey or to share in a certain way? I think for me, there's a famous quote and it's been attributed to a lot of different people, but it's basically find out who you are and do it on purpose. Oh, right. (laughs) So that's what I think a lot of it is, is like, find out what you're good at and do more of that. Don't try to get good at the stuff that you're not good at. Do what you're good at and do more of it. Absolutely. And I think that that's, Again, another testament to the value and power of writing is there's nothing like writing your story. And, you know, granted, some people want to write about something, about, you know, a coaching thing that they're something that they want to teach or about, you know, maybe a, a fictional story. But if you don't know where to start, I think that writing your own story, if nothing else, because it helps you to see what you're good at, it kind of helps. It's like learning about an exploration of you. Because, you know, when you kind of write out your story and state it, you, you want, for one, you recognize that you do have a story. You know, I think some people think, oh, I don't, I don't have a story. I feel like I've had a fairly normal life and nothing too important. Well, everybody's life is unique and important. You've, you've exactly. lived on this planet for a great number of years. That's a, <laughs> that's a feat. You've survived the odds. You've got a story. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I think that as you do that, you, you recognize sort of where your strengths are and what you're about. Absolutely. For instance, I'm not a mainstream writer. I chose to go after literary contests because I have a degree in literature and I can write in that genre very comfortably. And I recognize that I will never be mainstream, but because I'm not mainstream, you know, 
I don't say all the nice things in all the nice ways. I tend to be a little more edgy in my writing. My stories stand out in a contest because I'm not trying to blend in. I'm trying to push the edges of what's acceptable in literature. And so that's part of my voice. That's part of my style. Beautiful. And you found that. How long did it take to find that? Oh, man. It took... It took probably 15 years of really working at it and, you know, getting better over time. I mean, I had some early successes that I think were kind of flukes. I mean, I got lucky because, you know, I can write. But to continue to do it deliberately time and again is where the discipline is, you know, like the four levels of competence. There's unconscious incompetence, then conscious incompetence, then unconscious competence, and then conscious competence, right? So it's like you're bad at the beginning and you don't even know why. And then you you have a success and you're like, how did I do that? I don't know. I'm going to keep doing it. And then you do it better, but you did it better by mistake. And then finally you keep working at it. You're going to be more consistent. Do you feel like you've hit that point, that stride of being able to recognize what you do, how you do it well, and how to reproduce that? That's such a great question. And it's yes and no. I mean, I definitely have a style. I am very predictable in it. But it has evolved over time. Like the final story in my collection, which I wrote during pandemic, is very different style than the first story in the book that I wrote 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. Right. So you evolve as a writer. One of my favorite things to do when I find a writer I love is to go back to their first book and read in sequence all of their publications so I can see how they evolved as a writer. I'm a word geek like that, you know, (laughs) I'm a literature grad. So that I find to be pretty fascinating because we do change over time. As we live our lives, we grow, I hope. So yes, I'm pretty good at it. (laughs) We work, we work with therapists and coaches so we can get there. But I, I do have a, a friend who was an English um, high school English teacher for years, and then she's been consulting across the United States in, in training for social services since then. So she's still an educator. And she's she is my voice of reason. When because I can get so close to a story that I I am no longer objective about it. I think it's all brilliant. And she will be brutally honest with me. She'll go, You're going on a tangent here, and it doesn't really relate to the rest of it. Like in the book coming up. I had a story that I wrote called Not My Suicide, and the topic is suicide. Nobody actually commits suicide in the story, but this is, I find the subject kind of interesting, and so it was a group of women who got together and were talking over time, and my friend, she said, I hate this story. I don't, I hate the title of it, and I said, well, I don't really care if you hate the title of it or not, (laughs) but tell me why you think it doesn't belong in the book. And she said, it's so unlike all of the other stories. I just don't think it fits. And I I listened to that. And I went, you know what? I will agree with you. And I'm going to pull it. I think that it would probably make a better play because it's mostly dialogue. So I will find another place for it because I do believe that there's merit in that conversation. But yeah, I I have people that I have to listen to. Every good writer does. Every, you know, because we do have our blind spots. Yeah, absolutely. And and that's, 
I think there's so much power in working with others when it comes to writing. I've done writing circles, writing groups, and there's nothing. I get more done in a you know four hour workshop than I do in like four months of writing on it. Oh yeah, I mean, absolutely. Powerful. And that feedback and just the insights that you receive. I remember the one woman who was running it made a comment that. You know, because when you write, you're, you know, you, sometimes you just go into the streaming just because they say just write. Don't think about it too much, right? Just go, 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 go. And she said, you know, there will come a time, there's times where you edit stuff out that you're absolutely in love with, but that you just need to let go of, that there's certain yeah, things you will need to. And it doesn't mean you can't kind of cut it out and then keep it in a little bucket for, you know, something that might be used later. <laughs> but there is, you know, yeah. I've just heard that, that you have to be ready to let go of things that you love because it's for, you know, for a bigger project, a bigger purpose. It may not necessarily live in that one book in that story. Right. And I think there's also the point that as the, as an author, you have to serve your audience. If you're going to lose your audience along the way, then, then nothing, nobody's benefiting. You're not getting read and published and, and receiving the recognition you deserve. And there's a whole reading audience that you're turning off because you're ignoring what they need. Mm-hmm. You know, they need a satisfying story that's easy to follow, not terribly complicated, that can help them escape their lives or help teach them something, you know, for a short period of time to make them feel more fulfilled. You have an obligation to your reader as part of the deal. Yeah. And I think people develop this fine tuning of, I mean, it's almost like, you know, a sculptor, you kind of start with this big old slab of marble or big Mm -hmm. old play and then you you know sculpt it down and it's like that you just kind of produce a bunch of words and writing and then you sculpt it into something that is you know I mean it does you know need to be ingestible and pleasing and you know smooth in some ways for a reader right otherwise it's entirely self-serving and why bother (laughs) (laughs) that book we can keep you know in our in our diary you know that can be our, our book that we keep in our journal where it's our uncut unfiltered piece yet yeah when you put it out into the public it does have to it it needs to be something that people know what to do with and how to take it really exactly I mean my mission is to add to the body of American literature that is truly what I want to do and if that is my agreement with the universe then I have to be able to deliver on that and and if I can't attract readers that's never going to happen so it's like what do I want to be right or do I want to be good yeah. Good. Yeah, absolutely. And it's beautiful when people find a way to mix both, you know, when they're able to write what they love and, and it's good and it's, it's, you know, people are appreciating it. That's sort of like the trifecta. Right. Yeah. And, you know, it's like, again, you don't have to be the Einstein of writing, but if it gives you joy and it, and it, it provides a service to people, then that's a beautiful thing. And that's worth pursuing. Yeah. My, my brother is a writer and he's been working at it for years. He's always loved writing and he's found a way to really produce something that he loves, which are nonfiction stories about, he's a ghost tour guide in New Orleans. What? So he's a wow. Experience. And he's just an, a hilarious, but also brilliant writer. And I've watched his craft just shift and, imp- and just grow over the years. And it's really beautiful to see and to read because it's just such, the writing is so good and it, it's so funny and just so powerful. So, I, and I feel like he's reached that point where he's able to do what he loves, but it's also very a- appealing and. Yeah. Uh, I mean, and you also have to come to terms with the fact that you're not going to appeal to everybody. Yeah. That's the absolute truth about, again, everything, which is when you, yeah. if you're doing what you love, you have to 
let go of that part of you that wants a hundred percent approval rating, which I struggle with a lot, you know, in a lot of ways is if it's not across the board, I'm going to find that 2% that doesn't like it or the 20%, whatever it is. And and I'm going to fixate on that. And I think that's a little bit of the human condition. I think we have a tendency to, to, you know, we can get 10 people to say that we're great, but the two people who say that we are terrible, we're just going to, yeah. And you're going to focus on that. And, but with writing, you really just, it's so important to let go because people who are going to love your writing are really going to love it. And other people just aren't going to connect with it. And that's okay because there's an audience for everyone. Ernest Hemingway said, I don't pay attention to, you know, the great, the great reviews, because if I, if I put too much weight on that, then I'd also have to, you know, lose sleep over the crap reviews. And he goes, none of it really matters. You're not doing it for the reviewers. That's a whole separate thing. But if what you're doing fulfills you and is delivering something useful to the world, then you're right. It doesn't matter if 100% of the people love you because you're just not delivering them something that they can use. And it has nothing to do with you. Absolutely. And it kind of reminds me about, you know, we talked about breakups, about dating. You know, we go out and you put yourself out there and that's a brave thing to do, to get involved with someone at an intimate, emotional and physical and mental level and on all ways. And the reality is that we end up with one person. Usually some people have multiple partners. Usually we end up with one person. So that by, you know, mathematically says that not everyone is going to be the one that you're going to end up with. So there's going to be a percentage of rejection. Yet I think that particular is so hard for us to accept that there are certain people that we are going to say, you're not for me. That's hard to hear. (laughs) It is hard to hear. I read a, I read a quote the other day that said grief is the price of love. Because even if you have a successful relationship, there's going to be loss, you know, and it's like having loved something deeply will at some point require the loss of it one way or another. And that's part of the bargain. Definitely. I I share that a lot with clients who are going through a loss or grief is that sadness. The beauty of sadness is that it's an indication that we truly love something dearly. No. So at its essence, sadness is actually the greatest beauty of all because nothing can be that big if it, if it didn't mean something to us. If it, if it didn't have big meaning. Yeah. yeah. And I think it's the same for when we, again, when we get close to anyone or when we invest in something, that's the, the sort of vulnerability of any creative pursuit, whether it's writing or being an, a, an artist or whatever it is that you're sharing with the world, that's vulnerable. And you're putting yourself out there and, and kind of like dating, it doesn't matter that logically you can think, yeah, of course it's not going to work out with 90% of the people. It's only going to work out with 10 and yeah, of course, like they'll, I'll have an audience, but it's not going to be everyone. There's still that part of us that says, well, why not? What, what was it that made that it not appealing to them? What was it about this, this sacred thing to my heart, you know, that I, people didn't connect with. And I think it's again, nature to kind of fixate on, is there something wrong here that it didn't, but it's overall, it's just the idea that some things are for some people and not for others, both yeah. our and us. We're not for everyone. True. It's like whenever you workshop anything, and I try to teach this to my clients, it's like when you workshop something with, say, six people in a room, six people are going to have an opinion, and you don't have to own any of them. You should listen, probably. If, <laughs> if three people call you a horse, you should buy a saddle. But if... <laughs> 
say five of those six people are pretty much in alignment that, you know, things are going well and one person just rips it up. That's a good indicate. Well, you should listen and really check in with yourself and see if it's true because you're going to be all defensive. And what do you mean? This is my life's work. But you can also say, well, five out of six loved it. And if that one person didn't like it, maybe it has nothing at all to do with me. So it's like, it's a point of reflection. And because it's so deeply personal and when you're writing, it's like opening a vein, you know, you're putting your private thoughts out there and to have it criticized is really hard. I've developed very thick skin about getting feedback. How, how did you develop that skin? Cause new, new writers. Oh man. <sighs> no, I used to go to bed for days when I got criticism. I was just like, torn up but you know it's just an opinion and if you if you allow it it can help you grow as an artist and for me that was the thing I want to grow as an artist sometimes I'm going to hear something that is going to be painful and other times somebody's going to say something that is like so patently not true you just know it in your heart in your gut you're like that was kind of random. <laughs> like I had a, a writing teacher. Um, I had moved to Los Angeles and I was taking a, a continuing ed course in fiction. And I wrote what I've, I still have this piece and I, I periodically I'll look at it. It was a very short, short story, more like micro fiction. And the instructor in the class said, well, I don't care if it was true. I don't like the way you wrote it. And I was like, what are you doing teaching at UCLA if you, you know, have no rapport at all with the art of creativity it's like it was it was the strangest thing but so you know and I knew even as a baby writer at that point that he was wrong that it was a good piece but you know everybody has an opinion they're entitled to it absolutely and yeah if everyone has an opinion that means that if you make the choice to put yourself out there you're subjecting yourself to the opinions of others so there's two choices you either Keep yourself safe by not putting anything out there. Nothing right. creative, nothing, right. not taking the risk that somebody out there is going to say, I didn't like that at all. I don't like your style. I didn't like what you had to say. I, don't, I think your point was invalid or wrong. Whew, that can be hard to take it. The, the, it's the alternative to not saying anything. And exactly. you ask yourself often, which do I choose? You know, would I, would I rather put myself out and possibly have people find me that say, oh my gosh, I, I hear you. I, I so appreciate you. Even if it means a bunch of people saying, I don't like that at all. Right. Somebody saying, thank you so much. I, this changed my life. What you said absolutely rocked my, my soul. And it's like, that makes it worth everything. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that that probably helps with the building of the thick skin. And, and I think that ultimately a thick skin is sort of just a building of an understanding, sort of this agreement with yourself that's just as we just said, hey, listen, you know, we're putting ourselves out. So there's going to be some people who are going to say things because they have an opinion and they're not going to right. like it. But I want to do my soul's work. I want to do what I believe in. And I want to do share my voice and my story. And, you know, eventually you have to say, I, and I let the rest roll off my back. Right. And yes, it's only opinion. And you can't be that sensitive to feedback. If in fact, what you want to do is get better. Like my friend, when she said this, I don't like this story. I don't like the title. I don't like the story and it doesn't belong in this book. And I was like, well, okay, your opinion aside, I don't care about whether you like the title or not. 
what is it about this? You know, I had to go deeper. What is it about this that you don't like or that you think is not meshing with the rest of the arc of the book? That's when we got down to it. She's like, it's unlike anything else. Everything else is very hopeful. The title of the book is What is Possible from Here? She goes, this is the opposite of that. <laughs> and I went, that's a good, that's a point that you... Fair enough. Yeah. Fair enough. You convinced me. <laughs> yeah. And you, the, what's interesting though, is that once you, you know, you kind of gain steam and you are a regular writer and you're a coach, there is also the element of discernment where is it just a criticism that you say, listen, that's your opinion. And I, it, I don't honor it. Or you have to learn when, okay, that's a, feels like a criticism, but it's also, there's a valid point in there that I feel that I could make use of. So that those are things that are, and again, in, in every walk of life, it's, you know, whether, is this something that feels like more of an attack and not true? Or is it something that rings a little bit true and I could use and consider? Exactly. It it requires that discernment and kind of separating yourself from that situation and the emotion of it and saying, what are the facts? Yes, it's about a controversial topic. Yes, it's, it's mostly dialogue. So it's kind of hard to find, to follow the thread. Okay. You know, those, these are facts. Does it have value? Is uh, utterly a matter of opinion. Okay. And Cynthia, I have to get from you a few tips because I know that everybody, everyone listening to this is going to want a few ideas. How do you develop a writing practice? Because everything we've talked about, we've talked, explored the, the value of writing, getting our story out, the importance of our story, yet that actual setting out, cutting out time and actually making progress towards a goal of writing right. a book, of writing a, a publication, an right. article. What are some of the, the, you know, the top points that you could offer people just to get started with a writing practice, right? Make the choice, choose to do it, put it on your calendar and have a accountability factor. There's nothing like a deadline to get your writing. Oh my gosh. Right. <laughs> That's the truth. So whether you take a class or you work with a coach or you have a buddy, you know, you have a buddy system where you keep each other on track. I think that that accountability makes all the difference. Because otherwise it's too, it's, it's challenging. It's kind of uncomfortable. It's, it's an itchy sweater that you have to tolerate in order to get to your goal because you've got so many saboteurs who are more than willing to give you a million reasons why it's a waste of time and you shouldn't do it. But if you have an accountability built into it, that's going to mean everything. So take a class, sign up with somebody. There, there's something called Shut Up and Write. I don't know if you've heard of it. Yes, I found that on Meetup. <laughs> yeah, I ran, a, I ran one of those groups for a while. But it's great because they're all over the world. You can sign up for them. They're on Meetup. And you sit in a room and you write with people for an hour and nobody talks. And then you all go your, your separate ways. There's an accountability factor in that, that you cannot go to one of those meetups and then not write because everybody, you can see them on the screen. They're all like diligently working away. So I think the accountability factor is really important. Definitely. And tell people, you know what, I'm going to write five pages a week. And so they'll say, hey, how are those five pages going? You're either going to have to embarrass yourself and say, oh, well, you know, or you're going to go, it's great. It wasn't easy last week, but bang, I did it. Yeah. And I know something else that I saw on your website that I found really powerful is you said, write 30 minutes every day. 
And I've, I've found that is, you know, when you set that timer and you just do it that you, because you, you'll just keep writing because you don't want to stop for those 30. And it's like, so you, and you realize I just got four pages written in 30 minutes. That's not possible. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. You set the timer and you do it. And even it's like, some days are not going to be easy. And other times that 30 minute timer is going to go off and you are on such a roll oh. that. Yeah, you're like, timer be damned, I'm going to finish this thought. And, you know, an hour later, you've written something that's really amazing. Yeah. So I think that it you have to show up like anything you have to show up. But if you're willing to show up, then you eliminate so many of the other vagaries. Like if you set a time, a certain time every day to write or five days a week, and that's what you do during that time, then it eliminates the choice factor. Oh, that's my writing time. That's when I do that. Yeah. And then to bring it back a little to what we talked about, about journaling is your soul talking to you because this is the Women Waken podcast. So I love to highlight the parts of our work that is about that true divinity within each of us, that true, that part of us that's, that's bigger than any one task or, or any one thing that's, you know, our true essence. And Mm -hmm. I also work with another, you know, in a writing group and they said, find it's your sacred time when you write, make a space that feels like you are entering almost into like, you're like sitting into your throne of this is where I connect with my highest self. This is where I channel my, my message and my, you know, my gifts through into the word and, you know, light a candles, burn some, and anything that makes you feel like, okay, I'm declaring my writing space right now. I'm declaring this, my sacred space where the word can come through because word is powerful, you know? Very absolutely sacred thing. I so agree with everything you just said. It is a sacred ritual. And so I say create a ritual out of it. And honestly, it is sacred work because some of the most profound things that I've written, I can't take credit for. I know I was channeling. Mm. And so it takes practice to, to be in that space. But if you do it mindfully and intentionally, you will be successful because you've set yourself up for it. You're present and you prioritize it and you honor it. You honor that creative spirit within you and allow it a place to live in the world. Yeah. And how beautiful is that to produce something that gets to find life? That's pretty cool given birth. That's what we do when we write. We're giving birth to this idea, this concept that was once just a thought and we're birthing it. That's why it's so hard. <laughs> they don't call it labor for nothing. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this was a labor of 48 days. My new book was a labor of 20 years. Wow. And so I did, you know, when I really came, when I finished it and we're now in the final stages before publication, I really had to pause for a moment. And for the first couple of months that I was talking about publishing this book, I would get really emotional about it. I get a little emotional now. I'm just thinking of that because it's been a long time coming. It, it covers a lot of my personal history that manages to show up, you know, because it's the, my filter, but I, it's a process to be honored frankly. Indeed. Indeed. Well, that's so beautiful, Cynthia. And I can't wait to read that book. And I am excited for the the listeners to check out your work. How can uh, the listeners find you? How can they connect with what if if they want to work with you as a coach for publishing and writing? And, you know, if they're feeling jazz now and really wanting to start their own writing 
practice, uh, how can they find you? Heck yeah, let's get on that. I'm a I, my email is coachcynthia.gregory at gmail.com. Just like it sounds, traditional spelling of everything. And my website is cgregorycreativity.com. And so I'm pretty easy to find in both of those places. I'm all over LinkedIn and Facebook as well. But I think those two direct methods are the best way to reach me. And we can have a conversation about, you know, your passion and your dream for creating something to share with the world. Fantastic. And so all those links will be in the show notes so people can easily click on those and come connect with you. And your, your book is published next month. Yes, it will be released on 10-21-2021, October 21st. Love it. I loved the symmetry of that. And it actually in numerology adds up to nine. So I think it's auspicious. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and it will be there. Both of my books will be available on Amazon. And and also um, in, an, in the ebook version too, if you don't want to carry a book around and just put it on your phone. That is so exciting, Cynthia. Thank you. It really is. I'm like, yep, I'm doing it again. So I'm, I'm planning on my, my third book to come out in 2025. All right. Well, you're an inspiration as a, you know, a um, budding author, as an aspiring author, as we would say. I, I, mm-hmm. I'm i literally in awe of people who write books. I have to tell you, this was so helpful, this dialogue and, and discussion today, because it reminds me that it is possible. But when you're, when you're first trying to write a book, it, it really just kind of seems like this unattainable thing when you feel like, I don't know how an actual finished book ever gets produced. Right. <laughs> it just feels oh, it's like- quite a process. <laughs> you don't want to know how the sausage is made in the publishing end of it. But, <laughs> but the writing of it is something that you totally have control over. That I can do. That yes, can you can. Do. Thank you, Cynthia, for inspiring me around that and for all these incredible tips and sharing of your story And just talking about writing in the process. It's doable. It's doable. It's doable. So thank you for being out there and being such an amazing coach to so many people and for sharing your story. Thank you for having me, Whitney. This has been so much fun. Of course, I always love to talk about writing. So um, I'll look forward to your book too. Thank you. Thank you. I'll send you a (laughs) copy when (laughs) when it comes. Yay. All right, Cynthia. Thanks so much. Take care out there. That wraps up our beautiful conversation with our wonderful guest. Thank you so much for listening to the Women Waken podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please do share it with others and come back for more. If anything you heard resonates, leave a review or send me an email at Whitney at womenwaken.com and check out the website, womenwaken.com. Have a wonderful rest of your day and don't forget to let your light shine and keep an eye out for your special gifts and magic.